Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Hi, this is Steve. At some point, all of us are going to face the disaster, that moment in time when everything goes wrong. Maybe it's the caterers not showing up for your wedding, the presentation of your new product that totally tanks, or the really big ones people face around things like money and health. The question is, what are you going to do about it? For most people, that often means putting your head down and hoping things get better. Or maybe you blame someone else for your problems. But for the crew of Apollo 13 and the dedicated support staff at Mission Control, disaster means putting everything they have, every ounce of expertise, hard work, and creative thinking into solving what looks like an unsolvable problem. Ron Howard's 1995 film, Apollo 13, is a tour de force of technical filmmaking, brilliant collaboration, and a tremendous dedication to honor the hard work of the people who brought these astronauts home. This is a beautifully made film, and we are so happy to welcome back animation writer and the cinephile's resident NASA expert, Dave Rapp, to discuss it. So if you haven't seen Apollo 13, we recommend you take a trip to our website, cinephiles.net, where you can stream or buy the film from Amazon. Then come back on Friday to hear part one of what is arguably the greatest astronaut movie ever made, Ron Howard's Apollo 13. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem.
and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film and explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, and host over at Collider uh, Video and also the co-host of the Top Ten and the new Geek Buddies. It's been going on for a few weeks now uh, that I co-host with Michael Vogel and Shannon McClung. Having a great time, and I can't wait to talk about this movie today. And we are very happy to welcome back one of our favorite guests, mm. an animation writer, and our resident, the Cinephiles resident NASA expert, <laughs> Dave Rapp. Welcome back to the Cinephiles. Thank you. I am so happy to be back, and especially for this film. And I'm all, because I know the fantastic visual component of podcasting, I wore my NASA shirt, I wore my, <laughs> I wore my, I wore my uh, astronaut socks. Well, and everywhere you go, you wear NASA tattoos. I have so. all that, yes. You do. Um, so, so you are well prepared. And of course, the movie we're talking about uh, today is Apollo 13. And it's really, you know, everyone right now is talking about that this is the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing that amazes me, and I'm sure, Dave, you could talk endlessly more about this, is the landing on the moon might be the hardest thing humans have ever done. Oh, yeah, I would absolutely think so. <laughs> I mean, the, I can't think of anything that compares to it. I, 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 the numbers I've heard is it's like 400,000 people working in concert to make this thing happen. Yeah. Well, one thing that was fascinating about that Apollo 11 documentary, which that, I haven't seen yet. Oh, I know you haven't you seen interviewed, it? That's a great interview you did, but, by oh, the way. Yeah, thank you. On the yeah. Deep Cut. I interviewed Todd Douglas Miller, who directed that film on the Deep Cut, and he talked about, which you can find on the Collider Conversations podcast feed if you want to listen to it. It's an hour just discussing about how he called 11,000 hours awesome. of <clears throat> video and audio and how he put it all together and the process. I mean, they were working on it for years, and then eventually conversations with the families, but he really brings you into the minute detail that ev that had to happen throughout every single step of the process in order for it to happen. And even then, it's still thrilling and scary and all of that when they land and when they come off. You never, you don't know what's going to happen. And there's these moments of like just quiet when they're going around them. You're just like, this is insane. The amount of computations that you need to have and well, the amount of people. And, and having that someone is building some bolt that must be to the micro centimeter yeah. exactly what fits with this nut that's being built across the country. Yeah. And that all of this must have come together. And if anything is remotely off, then this whole thing doesn't work. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's absolutely crazy. And so so one of the reasons we're doing Apollo 13 is that we're all kind of looking to the heavens right now mm. and thinking about that. And the other reason we're doing Apollo 13 is it is one of our top picks on Patreon. Evan Zoller, James Kang, and Michael Gulick all wanted this for their oh. uh, Patreon pick, and cool. we would love to hear why they wanted Apollo 13. Hey, guys. I always grew up loving and reading about the space program. But this was the first movie where I was able to not only watch the harrowing story of how these astronauts get back to Earth, but just see how these missions are run at the ground level. I would say that the main characters and heroes of the story are not so much the astronauts, but really are the people who used all their ingenuity and grit and with confidence bring these men back home to Earth. Really looking forward to your discussion and breakdown of this incredible film. Hi, Stephen John. This is Mike from Massachusetts. Thank you so much for doing one of my top five favorite movies of all time. This was the first movie I saw in theaters with my dad after my parents divorced, and it really helped for me to see humanity at their best in the worst situation. There wasn't a bad performance in the film with Ed Harris, Kathleen Quinlan, and of course Tom Hanks as definite standouts. This was a visual and a technical masterpiece, and 
In the words of Gene Krantz, this was our finest hour. Thank you. Hi, John and Steve. Uh, Long-time Patreon of the show. Listen to it all the time on repeat. Shout out to Civil War, Shawshank Redemption, and The Breakfast Club. But for Apollo 13, I was eight-year-old the first time I saw that in the movie theater. And it was the first time I consciously really took in what film could do. Putting you in a place that you could never imagine going putting you in the lives of people that seem so outside what you might ever be capable of and seeing just real people try to problem solve. But it's such a compact story about people overcoming odds that if you told them to do that, probably outside of that situation, um, probably would tell you it's impossible. So it's just a great thriller. Proud that you guys are finally getting around to it and can't wait to listen. Wow. Those are some strong words. Smart men. They yep. always are. Yep. I appreciate their words about this movie. Thank you guys for your support, and thank you for picking this movie. You want to know something really crazy about this? What's that? So we're uh, 150. This probably is our 151st episode. Ooh, Dave, you missed it by one. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> this is not only not only is this our first Ron Howard film. Oh, what? Yeah. This is our first Tom Hanks film. What? Whoa, no, no. And even oh. crazier on some levels, this is our first Kevin Bacon film. <laughs> I think. <laughs> We've been able to do three years without bacon. We That's have incredible. not had we the cinephiles has failed the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I believe now we have a lot of movies now, That's but I kind of looked through quickly and I was like, I don't see That's them in any of these stunning. movies. Isn't that crazy? And yet it is our third Bill Paxton film. Yes. That, well, that's fine. I'm fine with that. <laughs> the late great. Uh, Dave, do you remember how you first came to this film? Uh, yeah, I had just moved to Phoenix uh, uh, from Ohio. I had only been there a couple months, and this movie came out. And this movie was one of the big reasons that w- made me think that I needed to be out in California instead. I, I was really, re- uh, yeah, this movie was happening, and I was like, I needed to work on this movie. I need to get out there and be part of stuff like this. What, were you? Were you? At, where were you at this point? You were graduated from college. Yes, I was out of college. I had been I had been working as a grip and an electrician for a while, and I moved out to uh, Phoenix as a sort of a stepping stone to come out here. And uh, yeah, I was just trying to get myself. Uh, um, uh, established there and I saw this movie and I was like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> what about you John uh, definitely in the theater because it's what 1995 so I'm 95. sure I saw it 25 years old 24 years old wherever uh, in the theater because I was a massive Tom Hanks fan massive fan of the space program and so and that Houston we have a problem tagline I mean that's how they get sure. you <laughs> and, and it was a great uh, trailer and Ron Howard as well at that time was in his heyday in the 90s so just building that thing so I was like excited to see what they could do together with this combination. Plus, it was Tom Hanks and Ron Howard again, which I had loved in Splash. In Splash. That's so I was before. like excited to see this combination. So for me, I was in film school, living in Los Angeles. I saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I also, this was one of the, I remember one of the first movies I worked in that on that DVD job, fresh oh, out yeah. of film school. So it is one I watched over and over again. And as we talked about uh, before on the podcast, there are some movies which... further viewings made them worse and worse and worse Mm -hmm. and Apollo 13 is the opposite every time I watched this movie I was like man this really is a really good movie and the things that get me emotionally every time yeah Yeah. every time Ed Harris sits down 
I would, Done. It's in my notes. <laughs> um, but we'll get there. Um, I'll do a little bit of pre-production. It started because Jim Lovell, this is obviously based on a true story of the mm. Apollo 13 mission and what they had to do to bring them back home. And Jim Lovell had, was writing a book called Lost Moon, and the book had not even come out yet. It hadn't even been written yet. And Brian Grazer and Ron Howard heard about it and said, this is a movie we want to do. Mm. And of course, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard are one of the probably the most successful producing directing partners in the history of film. Mm. Um, and, um, and they were fascinated from the very beginning by this idea of three worlds, that there was the world of the astronauts, there was the world of mission control, and there was the world of Marilyn Lovell and the family at home, mm. and bringing those three worlds together to tell the story. And the first person they started with, of course, was Tom Hanks. Yeah. And Tom Hanks wanted to be an astronaut when he was a kid. Of course. And had the toys and was passionate about it. And it really sounds like he's a real collaborator on this movie, mm. start to finish. And that Ron Howard welcomed him in. Well, it's no surprise considering how he's now producing so many things and involved with so Absolutely. many documentaries. Yeah, Maybe no. this is where he starts to see, like, there's more that I can do than just act. Well, I was right? going to say, because after this, they did From the Earth to the Moon. Mm. Right. With, you know, with Tom Hanks and, and, and uh, Imagine. Guys. Yep. I was totally 100% wrong. Uh, this is not our first Tom Hanks movie. Oh. League of Their Own, 1992. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay. We yes. have done the least. That's 92. Okay. So I apologize to the cinephiles. <laughs> yes. I've made yet another horrible mistake. Oh, it's quite all right. Um, but he's on a run because 92 mm-hmm. is League of Their Own. And he was, you know, from Splash, which is mid-80s and Bosom Buddies. Yeah. And he does all these comedy films, which I, you know, I love Tom Hanks. Sure. But then there is Philadelphia in 93, Sleepless in Seattle in 93, and Forrest Gump in 94. Yeah. And this is 95. Right. That is a run. Yeah, and Toy Story also came and out. And Toy Story is 95, 95. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Um, and th- one of the things about this, and we've c- talked about this uh, on, uh, we just did Last of the Mohicans, yep. which is a tremendously well-researched movie. This one, they really wanted to get it right. Mm-hmm. They poured, everyone working on this movie is pouring over the transcripts, talking to the technical advisors, talking to Jim Lovell, talking to the guys from NASA, talking to Gene Kranz, talking to all these people to make sure they really, really get this one right. Mm. Um, And one thing I know on this film, I'm not even going to come close to getting the names of all the great actors they're in this film. Oh man, it's They're, such a good cast. So all the little parts are like I've seen that guy in something. That person's in all sorts mm-hmm. of things. This person's in all sorts of things. Uh, but I will say that what we can know is that they had great casting directors, which is uh, Janet Hutchinson and Jane Jenkins cast this film. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, boy, like I said, just take a look at the IMDb, start clicking on people, and you'll see that oh that person was in that TV show. That right. person was in this. Fantastic cast. We know Clint Howard's in this. Clint Howard. <laughs> And Ron Howard's parents, both the mom right. and both the dad. Both parents, yeah. yeah. Uh, would, you like to, would you like to get in the movie? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. We start with that score. And uh, that's James Horner. And that is one of those, like, you hear that score in all sorts of stuff today. Um, and what I had forgotten watching it was that we start with the Apollo 1 disaster. Yeah, yeah. I had forgotten that as well. Which which is funny because it's a, one of the, the first time we had you on the show. Oh, no, the second time we had you on the show was for The Right Stuff. Yeah. Mm. And in The Right Stuff, we meet Gus Grissom. Yeah. 
And uh, do you remember the big thing that happened to Gus Grissom in The Right Stuff that was very controversial? Yeah, yeah. He When he uh, uh, splashed down after his uh, Mercury flight, uh, the hatch blew, or or he blew it, depending on your, your take on it, and his uh, they weren't able to recover, recover the vessel. Yeah, and there was all this controversy of was it his fault right. or was it a technical problem? And apparently, which I didn't know until watching one of the docs, is that they redid the hatch to make it not possible for it to blow like that. And at the beginning of this movie, we see Gus Grissom getting into the Apollo 1 capsule, and there's a circuitry problem and lots of uh, pure oxygen in the capsule, and it goes on fire, and they can't get out through the hatch. Grissom's is just the most tragic figure in the space program. Oh, I agree. By so, by I mean, of course, Christy McAuliffe and the people on, on the, the Challenger, but... This is more because no matter what happened, it seemed like drama seemed to follow Yeah, it was a whole career of of crushing blows. Yeah, and he just kept trying, and in the end it was like, well, we're just going to set you on fire. And I mean, it's just like, it's sad. It's so sad. Whenever I hear his name, I always just feel a certain sadness come over me because, you know, to achieve that level but to never be able to have any kind of positive result from what you've done, it must be terrible. I just thought this was a great move, though. I had forgotten, too, that mm. they started with this. Seems like you would start with what you go into next, which is the landing on the moon, and this is the thing. But this is so good because it tells us that it's, this is going to be a, this is a story about adversity. Right. And it also tells, you know, even though there is going to be a lot of flag waving here, this isn't, this is going to show the space program warts and all sort of yeah. thing. And it also, it because they show you what happened here, and then, then, when Jim Lovell talks to his son about it, you know what he's referencing. And then when his son, his mom talks to his son later, yeah, it's a perfect, a, it's a perfect build up. That's just beautiful. Off. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it sets it like, no, this is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Things can go wrong. Right. You know, it establishes right away. And it's something we talked about when we talked about the right stuff is a lot of these astronauts came out of being test pilots where the, the survival rate is really, really low. Mm. In order to do a dangerous, dangerous, or in order to do something that's never been done before, you take on tremendous amounts of risk. And of course, the person who's narrating a lot of this is Walter Cronkite. Inspired by the late President Kennedy, in only seven years, America has risen to the challenge of what he called the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Here's what I didn't know. I just assumed that this was all old Walter Cronkite footage, but it's not. Yeah, I believe it. They did such a good job of blending actual footage of newscast stuff with stuff that they shot themselves. Mm. And this is this is Walter Cronkite in 1995. <laughs> and they went to him and they had written the text. This is what I love. They'd written the text. He read it. He read it again. He took out a pen. He made some cuts, he made some edits, <laughs> and he turned it into Ron- Cronkite. It was shorter, it was tighter, and it was way more dramatic. Yeah. And Ron Howard just describes it as just going, oh. <laughs> That's perfect. That's why he's Walter Cronkite. Well, if you, the thing that Todd said to me, which I didn't know about, was the stuff in uh, the, Walter Cron- the Walter Cronkite speech about when they landed on the moon is all impromptu. Right. It was not written at all. Wow. Off the cuff, five minute speech about the whole situation. He's like, oh my God, just off the cuff. Well, and, and that's what we're going to go to right now because it is July 20th, 1969, which is just a little more than 50 years ago. Mm. Uh, I was not quite a year old. And uh, we see Tom Hanks in a convertible and we see Kevin Bacon, who is demonstrating a <laughs> a, 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 a joining of a, a bottle and a 
a glass for a woman. And, and, and Tracy, I'll tell you, when you feel that thing slide in, everything's clicking. It's like no other feeling in the world. <laughs> and we end up at the Lovell House, and there's a big party because it's the day of landing on the moon. Yeah. And we get some jokes from our astronauts. Tom Hanks comes in and says, you know, what's the occasion? Uh, and that's when we hear that his character, Jim Lovell, has had more time in space than anybody else. Gary Sinise comes in. Bill Paxton comes in. And what we find out is that they're going to be coming soon because they are the crew for Apollo 14. Right. So we got a little ways to go for them. And then we have this build to that moment of Lenny on the moon. I think that's one of those things, man, I wish I could have been seeing it. I mean, I'm sure I was sitting in front of the TV with my parents as a baby. I can't imagine. Right. No, I just missed it. But yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't know that there's anything else uh, in certainly in the latter half of the 20th century when in the TV age that united people like this. And and I think it's just a, the this party is just a great expositional thing. It, it lets you meet the characters, learn about them. You get to see the, how the astronauts are competitive with each other when Pete Conrad is introducing yep. them. Uh, but then once that moment happens, everyone in the room is just humbled. Yep. And everybody's having that experience. It's awesome. Yeah, even at the moment before they go, wait, is it too late to abort yeah, the yeah. mission? And they make the joke, and then everyone quiets them down, and then it is quiet. And there is this moment, which is one of the great, you know, there. I think there are two Cronkite moments that I can picture. And one is the death of Kennedy, mm. and the other is this moment. Right. Where he takes off his glasses. Yeah. Armstrong is on the moon. Neil Armstrong, 38-year-old American, standing on the surface of the moon. And you could see he's moved and amazed and just... By the way, it is insane to me that this footage does not exist in its original form. I don't know if people know this, but they, they actually, the actual video of the moon landing, the original, is gone. Yeah. Destroyed. Um, that's just crazy to me. And there's this moment as we watch and hear the one st small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind, and we see everyone's faces, and the camera is on Tom Hanks. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And it's, his performance is just filled with so much there. Like the amazement at seeing what he's seen, the desire for it to be him, like all of those things are in that look. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and apparently, originally they, they did it as a static shot, so they just had the camera on sticks, and Ron Howard's watching his performance. It's just a reaction shot. At first, they're like, well, we'll get his reaction. And he sees there's so much going on that he kind of goes over to his DP and says, like, let's push in on him. And they were fortunately on the dolly already, and so they are able to just slowly do that little push in on him. And it's just, it's so powerful. Awesome. It's later. It's after the party. Tom Hanks, who's Jim Lovell, is outside sitting on a lawn chair, looking up at the moon. And what's he doing? Covering it with his thumb. <laughs> it's apparently something that Jim Lovell did from the space capsule looking down at Earth. He would yeah. cover it with his thumb. I think that's just, what, what does that mean? What, why, why are we looking at that? What, what is that telling us? <laughs> You're looking at me, John. <laughs> You're the rocket scientist. You tell me. <laughs> well, I can see covering the Earth when you're when you're you know on one of his, his Gemini missions or on uh, on Apollo eight because it's like this is you know just like everything. So, this yeah, is our this is whole world. Everybody you know, everything you've ever experienced is there, and now it's not, mm -hmm. and <laughs> just it's all behind your thumb. It's crazy. Yeah, I think it's something. Yeah, it's something about scale and distance yeah. and and 
that I will be there. That's where I'm going. That little tiny small thing is actually a really big thing that someday I'm going to stand on. Yeah. And out comes his wife, uh, Marilyn, Kathleen Quinlan. She's great in this movie. She's amazing in this movie. Yeah. She, every, she, every time she gets a chance to do something, she does the maximum with it. And which is not to say she's chewing the scenery. She is making the best use of all of her time on screen. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're both a little bit drunk. <laughs> and, you know, we hear a little bit about what uh, Neil Armstrong's wife is going to be feeling at this moment. Hmm. And I love this where, where, uh, Jim Lovell says, Christopher Columbus, Charles Lindbergh, and Neil Armstrong. (laughs) Neil Armstrong. Can you imagine if, like, some buddy of ours, who we maybe respect and maybe are competitive (laughs) with and maybe think we're the... And it's like, you know, Christopher Columbus, Charles Lindbergh, and Dave (laughs) Rapp. I'm sure I blew blew the levels on that one. Uh, there's so much in that line um and then we get to this next thing which is from now on we live in a world where man has walked on the moon yeah like that's like almost like you've got it's like it's breaking the sound barrier it's it's circumnavigating the globe it's i don't know being beamed up to the enterprise it's like something that's what the world is never the same but you also get their relationship and the relationship of all the wives with the astronaut husbands right there because she's saying something completely different and he's right. not hearing it she's yeah. like this is a horrible terrible thing to worry about and stress about and he's like this is awesome yeah. and they're just like that's the dynamic this is what she signed up for the, the next line is a line that might be one of my favorite lines in the movie which apparently came from tom hanks and this came from him and ron howard having a conversation and the line is it's not a miracle we just decided to go yeah there's so much in this movie that is about hard work and perseverance and smarts and engineering and discipline and collaboration that so matches up with my philosophy. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, I also think the connection here is the thumb thing and this line are connected. Because to him, I think the thumb is his way of going like, I, I did it to the earth, I can do it to the moon. Yeah. If I did it in that place, I can do it in this place. And we just decided to go do it. That's the kind of I don't know what the word what's the it's it, there's a phrase to it right there's a phrase to it about just doing it and uh, this is gonna lay this is like definitely re- laying the groundwork for what Lovell's gonna have to do on that mission later on when things start falling apart this idea of we just we decided to live we decided to figure it out we decided to get it done we decided to get back home and yep. it's just like that's his just mentality once he decides to do something he believes he can get it done or human beings can get it done if they set their mind to it and i that's think a, that's a great point i think there's something about that it's really powerful yeah i totally agree yeah. and then she asks where her mountain is <laughs> <laughs> so I had to look it up. This is not actually scientifically. There is not a Mount Maryland. <laughs> he, he said Jim Lovell called it that, and all the other astronauts at that time called it that. Yeah, but it did not get named that. Well, I I named a star after my daughter when she was born. That counts, right? <laughs> That's a real thing. Sure. I mean, you can buy a star, can't you? Do yeah, this I did. Like a, oh, she did. No, that does count. <laughs> it doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, isn't it in like the scientific registry or something? I don't know. You're ruining all my illusions. And then they get a little romantic and it's very cute. Hello. <laughs> We're off at the, like, I think it's the vehicle assembly building. Yeah. Which apparently is huge. Uh, yes. Have you been there? <laughs> no, I wish. Oh. Um, and uh, and now we have uh, Tom Hanks giving the tour. 
The astronaut is only the most visible member of a very large team, and all of us, right down to the, the guy sweeping the floor, are honored to be a part of it. Because a lot of what astronauts do when they're not on the mission is a lot of public relations. What did the man say? Give me a lever long enough and I'll move the world? Well, that's exactly what we're doing here. This is divine inspiration, folks. The best part of each one of us, the belief that anything is possible. Things like a computer that can fit into a single room and, and hold millions of pieces of information. And he is talking about the big team that is used to make this happen. And immediately he's getting heckled by a senator who's kind of, <laughs> why are we even doing this? Now, Jim, people in my state have been asking why we're continuing to fund this program now that we've beaten the Russians to the moon. Yeah, who's also Roger Corman. And that's Senator Roger Corman. <laughs> and Roger Corman, for the, he's come up before on the show, but he is the master of low-budget horror science fiction action films, particularly in the 60s and 70s. And he gave a start to all sorts of directors, including Peter Fonda, including Martin Scorsese, including Ron Howard, a whole bunch of other people worked for him. And a lot of those guys ended up putting him in their movies. And this was his chance. He was in Science of the Lambs that we did. That's right. Because he well. he's just Jonathan Also Demi. playing a senator. <laughs> Is he a senator <laughs> I in that? So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, I, 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 I kind of wish I had somehow found a way to Roger Corman or a Rod. I kind of had my Roger Corman like experience with um, Fred Weintraub. Mm. That was sort of my Roger Corman experience. And he's kind of going, well, why should we even have to do this? Imagine if, if Christopher Columbus had come back from the new world and no one returned in his footsteps. And that's a big, serious, heavy line, which we could still ask today yeah. Yeah. since we still aren't going back. Mm. And what is the next question he gets asked? Is it a big, serious, heavy, philosophical <laughs> line? No. How do you go to the bathroom in space? Well, I tell you, it's a highly technical process of uh, cranking down the window and looking for a gas station. The most common question that any of the astronauts was asked. Uh, can you explain how it's done? <laughs> Suction. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And in comes Deke Slayton. Uh, and he's one of the Mercury 7, right? Yes. Um, he's not one of the main characters in The Right Stuff, though. He's uh, like, no, he is. I mean, he's one of the guys. I know, but he's oh, not. Yeah. He's not one of our main. Right, because he he's the only one of the main seven that didn't go. He got diagnosed with a heart murmur or some oh. sort of heart condition early on, and so there were six actual uh, six Mercury flights. Went. Yeah, and he uh, wants to have a word with Jim Lovell, and this is where storytelling happens in the cut. I have something important to, to talk to you about. Cut to Jim Lovell comes home excited. Hey. Home. Yeah. Finds his uh, wife who's having an argument with their daughter <laughs> and says, You know that Easter vacation trip we had planned for Acapulco? Uh -oh. well, I was thinking uh, there might be a slight change in destination. Really? Maybe say the moon. <gasps> <laughs> it's great. It's a really good moment. Uh, and the reason is, is that out. Uh, uh, who is it? Is it? Uh, oh, Al Shepard yeah. has an ear infection. Yeah. Which is weird to me because, okay, he has an ear infection, which causes the Apollo 14 crew to get bumped up to Apollo 13. And then the measles thing is going to mess up the Apollo 13 crew. Right. Some would say it was cursed. I feel like <laughs> this is, that's what is, is such it's a It's all because of the number 13. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it seems scientifically. Perfect. I don't trust <laughs> odd numbers. 
And there's the re- whole well, Apollo, half of the numbers. Apollo one. I actually Apollo thirteen. I agree. Apollo with you eleven. On that. Apollo eleven. Yeah, they got lucky. <laughs> yeah. You're also anti odd number. I'm not superstitious, but I am OCD, and I prefer even numbers because yeah. you know that you can always divide them by two. There's a balance. If it's an odd number. At it least might I be know prime. That. Yeah, it, it might, be, it might prime. be prime. Those are the best numbers. Oh, oh those no. are the ones you definitely don't trust. Nope. <laughs> nope. You heard it here first on the Simpsons. <laughs> Um, yeah. I love the moment where, where the argument with the daughter is about the clothes that she's wearing and she comes out and says, dad, can I wear this? And he says, sure. And she says, Jim. And he says, no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and immediately again, it's the thing that you pointed at before his reaction is, this is great. Her reaction is, oh yeah. And she is superstitious. Yeah, and she's also immediately like, that's only in six months. Are you sure you have enough time for six months? You can. Yeah. Her worry is palpable. Absolutely. And of course, now we jump to it's three months to launch, and our guys are in the simulator. And apparently, the actual astronauts, they spent like cumulatively like a year in the simulator, mm. just working every possible scenario, every single thing that could go wrong over and over and over again. To be fair, half of that was Gary Sinise. <laughs> <laughs> um and they the, the the people on the outside they decide to mess with them a little and so they're starting to do this docking maneuver which is something we're going to see when we're actually out in space and they realize something goes wrong and he manages to make it work and at first tom hanks is like maybe we should back off and try it again and he says no no i got it and they capture it and i love that what they're working with is a little camera and like a little suction cup or something and yeah. that's what they're trying to maneuver I can't imagine building one of these simulators and having it respond the way that an actual spaceship would respond. How do you know? Yeah, it goes to what you said, John, about uh, the thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people that have to build everything. And you said it, too. Like, I I would rather be involved in the 60s space program than today, because even though technology is better today, I don't trust the work ethic of everybody involved today. The 60s, everybody was like in it, patriotic, working hard. Like, it's crazy. Well, one of the things I don't trust, which is so different, is that there was a time when there were people that actually knew how to do all the stuff. Right. And now you don't have, uh, what is it, Catherine Johnson? Who's yep. you know, literally the human computer who did all the math? Yeah. Right. You just enter the numbers into a computer and it says, here's the answer. Yeah. And there's even all sorts of now a lot of engineering design, which the computer, AI, yeah. has <laughs> figured out how to make oh, don't the right the way. Yeah. <laughs> poking the exactly. bear. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, if, if you were in the 70s and you were like in the homebrew computing club, you knew every component in your computer. Yeah. Today, the vast majority of people that work on computers, which is millions of people, they don't know what's going on inside there. Right. They're just handed it that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're working in the simulator and they, they managed to do it and everyone says, good job. And we're heading out and it's time for the backup team to come in. And just as they're heading out, uh, Gary Sinise, who plays Ken Mattingly, what does he say? Yeah, but it wasn't perfect. Used up too much fuel. Uh, you bumped the curve. Not by much. Listen, guys, I, I want to work it again. Hey. We got to be up with the Dawn Patrol headed for Beth Page. What, 0700? Wheels up at 0700. Yeah, I know, but my rate of turn is still a little too slow there. I really think we should work it again. And there's a look from uh, Jim Lovell who goes, Well, let's get it right. Okay, set it up again, Frank. Which also means that the backup crew, including Kevin Bacon, they're not getting the time in the simulator. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, it's so funny because so this is right after Forrest Gump. Yeah. So you have back to back Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise movies. Yeah. Had 
had we seen him before Forrest Gump? I, I'm not sure. That's a good question. If we had seen him in a way that was notable, I'm not sure when Of Mice and Men came out. It might have been after. I thought it was after because I know their Steppenwolf guy, the yeah. Greg right. Steppenwolf. Yes, he which is. which with is Malkovich. with Malkovich and a whole bunch of other people, and this is one of the great theaters in Chicago. Yeah, with a really kind of open up the world of theater in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, Of Mice and Men was before. It's 92. Oh, it's 92. So And Midnight Clear was 92 as well, which is kind oh. of these smaller independent films. So he'd, he'd had some kind of name, and then he was in The Stand in 94, then, oh, right. then in the Forrest Gump, and then Quick and the Dead as well in 95. So I, I, He's making his move is basically what's This is my right favorite now. Gary Sinise, I think, in this movie. Oh, wow. oh really? Yeah, yeah. I oh, think so. That's a strong statement. All right. I, I just, he's so solidly that character for me yeah that's true and i mean this this cast i said before it's like you know nobody doesn't love tom hanks he's the sarah lee of acting let's say (laughs) and and then bill paxton's been one of my favorites ever since ever since weird science Mm. you know i love and and kevin bacon come on six degrees of kevin bacon and then yeah and coming right off Forrest Gump to put Gary Sinise in this it's just it's an amazing team do you think having six degrees of Kevin Bacon was good for Kevin Bacon or bad for Kevin Bacon (laughs) I don't think Kevin Bacon could care less it's great branding for him people are talking about him all the time yeah no I agree it's such a weird like your name yeah kind of rhymes with this thing yeah (laughs) it's so this is like the first thing now everyone will think of when they and honestly, Kevin Bacon's always good. Yeah, yeah, he's always good. By the way, is he, is, is Gary Sinise the most Tom Hanks is like the most name person that has worked with Tom Hanks? Because you, you look at what Forrest Gump, this, and uh, the Green Mile; those are three oh, yeah. notable films yeah. that he has worked I alongside. He's in Green Mile. Yeah, I don't know how, if there are any other actors that have worked as many as much with Tom Hanks. Tim Allen. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Fair point. We have a winner. Uh, but I don't know if he's as big. I don't know. He's not. He's, he's a TV actor. Um, so, But anyway, um, but and now we go into this. We actually, we see them. They're in their suits. They're in space. There's zero gravity. And we're like, oh, shit. We like skipped into yeah. space. What's what's happened here? Hey, we got a problem. And then the hatch bursts open, and it is suddenly super, super scary. And I think you have that quick transition to, oh, they're in space? Did I skip something? Wait, what's going on? Oh, it's a dream. Yeah. 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 And I don't know where is the place to talk about this, but I feel like we need to talk about the technical aspect of shooting this weightless scenes, because this movie is so important to have to have all the astronaut scenes in the capsule feel realistic. And the fact that they actually did make them weightless for these scenes, I don't, you couldn't have done it with wires or CGI. Can or, I tell you something interesting? Please do. This scene is with wires. What? This oh. scene is not in the vomit comment. So what uh, oh, I'm talking about <laughs> is, uh, well, no, but this is, it's really interesting. So, so and we'll get into it is that, uh, is that what they did for this film is actually shoot a ton of stuff in zero G in the KC-135. Is that yep. what it is? Yep. Um, and what uh, Ron Howard said was he didn't want this scene to look like that. And so this oh. is done when the old school technique with wires and all that. And it's only a couple of shots. Okay. And so he wanted it. He wanted people to actually go like, oh, is this the best you can do with zero G? So that later on, oh. when he actually shows the full zero G, that it's really impressive. Wow. 
Yeah, but I remember when they get to zero G, I was like, how are they doing this? I remember yeah. watching the movie in the theater and being like, I, this is amazing. This really looks like I can't tell. And then it gets to be so real that you forget it and you're in, you're completely in the movie. It, it's so real that, you know, nothing draws you out of the moment. Yeah. And uh, and we think that this is probably going to be Jim Lovell's uh, dream. But in fact, it's not. It's Marilyn. It's his wife. And she wakes up and then she hears her husband talking to her son. Yeah. And at first it starts off with just him explaining the trip to the moon. And I take the controls and I steer it around and I fly it down, adjusting it here, the attitude there, pitch, roll, for a nice, soft landing on the moon. Better than Neil Armstrong. Way better than Pete Conrad. And a couple things about this. One is one of the big chores in this movie is there's so much exposition to get out. There's so much complicated science the audience has to know. And how are you going to do that? And that what they did was that this scene, this scene is actually just kind of improv. And it's a way of doing, A, the exposition of we're going to go to the moon at this speed and we're going to go around the move and then I'm going to land on this lander. And that's all. So it's all exposition. So the audience knows science stuff. But it also feels like dad reassuring his kid. Right. So it has an emotional component. And then you get into the second half of the scene, which is what you mentioned before yeah. of the kids saying, Did you know the astronauts on the fire? And this comes from Ron Howard was talking to, because um, they talked to everyone at NASA they could, they right. huge participation. And he was talking to a shuttle uh, astronaut from the space shuttle. And he was talking about that he went up right after the Challenger explosion. Oh. And this is a conversation that he had with his son. Oh, wow. Because his son had seen the Challenger explosion and said, Dad, did you know those people? Right. And he said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. I knew the astronauts in the fire, all of them. That happen again? Well, I'll tell you something about that fire. Um, a lot of things went wrong. The, uh, the door, which is called the hatch, they couldn't get it open when they needed to get out. That was one thing. And, uh, well, a lot of things went wrong in that fire. Did they fix it? Oh, yes, absolutely. We fixed it. It's not a problem anymore. That is... I can't imagine having a conversation that with, like that with your kid. No. It seems like every space movie or space show has to have that conversation with the wife <laughs> that's freaky, freaky and scary. It's like yeah. scary. And the conversation with the kid explaining the situation. Even in First Man, which turned the genre on its head in terms of space movies... By not having it be that way, yeah. has a forced conversation mm. with his kids mm -hmm. before he goes up, right? Claire Foy yells right. at him that he has to talk yeah, to his right. sons. So right. I, I kind of like that, too. Um, we're off in uh, a car, and they're again, they're kind of talking. She, You could see her negativeness about yeah, yeah. everything that's happening, because she's freaked out. And she loves him. And she loves him. <laughs> and then a car pulls up next to him and essentially recognizes him and kind of wants a drag race. <laughs> <laughs> I know what Ron Howard said about this moment? Mm -mm. This is his tribute to American Graffiti. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, is a Ron Howard, you know, which yeah, is right. George Lucas with Ron Howard as the right. star. Good point. And then what we hear is that Marilyn doesn't want to be at the launch right yeah the kids need me at home Marilyn we've had these kids for a while now they've never kept you from coming to the other launch yes but now I have your mother she's just had this oh, stroke mom's fine honey it's not like I've never been to a launch before the other wives have not done three 
just I just don't think I can go through all that. I think it's a really good husband wife moment. It is. Because he does it's not a fight. No, no. It's sort of a Oh, I'm disappointed. I'm really not happy about this. I'm not going to force you to do it. It's a really good right. scene. And you also get the foreshadowing because when that guy wants to drag drag him, his car stalls. His car stalls. His mm-hmm. equipment failure. <laughs> there are several equipment failures well throughout be. the film. Yeah. Um, as if he was reading the science. As if Jim didn't read the science. <laughs> well, he already ignored the fact that it was Apollo 13. True. I mean, that oh, I figured been... that out. Apollo 11 works because one and one is a balance. Ah. So, Apollo, right, so an right. 11 is fine. All right. So should we skip all the odd number? Wait a second. Mm-hmm. This is an odd number podcast. This is 151. <laughs> but it's a palindrome, so that's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank God. I was <laughs> And really it's also nervous. a type of rum. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Fair enough. Maybe we should have some 151 right now. Oh, I like that idea. I do not. <laughs> this is the last thing I need. Um, and uh, he heads off to a plane, and she watches him fly away. And then we are taking some pictures of the crew. And actually, it's funny we mentioned it because the next question they get in their uh, uh, news conference is, doesn't the number 13 bother you? Mm. And this doesn't. And, and there's, it's not just Apollo 13, but they're going to like orbit the moon on the land on the moon on the 13th. And there's a 13th. There's like a yeah. whole bunch of 13s yeah. coming up. Tempting fate. That's just going to say, once again, <laughs> just got to be hubris. Hubris. <laughs> well, and something I didn't say before, do you remember what uh, Tom Hanks' response to it being 13 when Marilyn brings it up? It's the number after 12. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That line came from Tom Hanks. That, <laughs> that's Sounds his right. line. Yeah. Simple response. It's exactly what I would say. <laughs> it's not the floor after 12 in most hotels or that's office right. buildings. That's right. Yeah, those hotels are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um. What's so funny is I'm so anti superstitious. You are really that I will I will walk under the ladder. Like oh, if yeah. you were, if oh you, I do that too. Yeah. yeah. If if there was someone superstitious next to me, I will like. Oh really? What it was, uh, and yet I mean, what's so funny is when you start thinking this way, you could mm-hmm. find stuff. My first kind of bigger film at film school, which was written by our friend Josh Haber, mm. produced by our friend Matt Garcia, and I directed. We broke. I don't know. 90, you know, 15, 20 mirrors in a whole bunch of different places for the scene. Okay. That movie sucked. (laughs) There you go. What can I tell you? The scene looked cool. All right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, 
and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Um, and then this is what we kind of heard this uh, sort of foreshadowing at the party with the moon landing was, are we even going to make it to Apollo 14? And then we heard it with the senator saying, why are you even doing this? You already did it once. Right. And now we're here with the reporters saying every, the public thinks it's routine. That's um, that, I think that says so much about human nature that we did it twice, right? Yeah. And the public's like, yeah, we're over it. Yeah. We conquered it. It boggles my mind. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how we are. <laughs> That's a, that's why they stopped uh, like the space shuttle at some point, like in uh, before the Challenger thing. I think it, people were starting to feel like it was okay. It was like, oh, no big deal. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that Chris McAuliffe was there as a PR. Yeah, I mean, course, trying yeah. to get people and kids invigorated exactly. so they could show the launches again and get people to watch. Exactly. I mean, to me, it's like you've seen the triple Lindy once. <laughs> <laughs> why would you ever need to see it again? <laughs> Still my favorite running dangerous shot ever. Oh, it, we I, we still have talked about doing we have that to on do the Twitter files. We yeah, will we do have back to, do back to school. Um, uh, You're a melon. Yeah. And of course... There's <laughs> nothing routine about flying to the moon. I can vouch for that. And uh, I think that an astronaut's last mission, his final flight, well, that's, that's always going to be very special. Why is this your last, Jim? I'm in command of the the best ship with the best crew that anybody could ask for. And I'll be walking in a place where there's 400 degrees difference between sunlight and shadow. I can't imagine uh, ever topping that. Dave, these are all cocky guys, aren't they? Not cocky in a sense of like overtly, but like they're super confident yeah you have to have a certain sense of confidence to be able to go up in a you know because they're all test pilots yeah like like you were saying before one and there was a period where one and four were died yeah so if you're the guy who lived you're like you know i've been touched by god i'm blessed they just have that right (laughs) what is that stuff (laughs) (laughs) um uh and then we see the big uh i think it's called the crawler which was the real thing that transported the saturn rockets that I think they use for the shuttle too. Apparently, Ron Howard got to drive it. What? <laughs> That's so awesome. I can't imagine. I mean, it, I'm sure it goes like a quarter of a mile an hour yeah, yeah. or something, but I would still be terrified <laughs> to drive something like that. <laughs> and Deke comes up and says, We got some problems, some lab work that came back. And it's, I guess, one of the guys on the backup crew got the measles. Yeah, yeah German measles. And so, and they're all got exposed to it um and uh and jim is like well i've had the measles but ken mattingly which is the gary sinise character has not yeah and now we have the meeting where the medical crew uh has said uh the flight surgeons has said mattingly can't go you you want to break up my crew two days before the launch when we can predict each other's moves and we can read the read the tone of each other's voices this is a great scene for him too it is you know, because Tom's been kind of sitting this thing, chill, chill, chill. And then once once you upset his apple cart, oh, it's all bets are off. I've trained for the Frau Moore Highlands, and this is flight surgeon horseshit, Deke. 
Is that nerd rage? He was nerd raging all over the place <laughs> about it because like it's so important to him to go. And then he needs his crew in order for him to go. And I it, cannot qualify this as nerd rage. Okay. I'm not sure what the technical <laughs> definition is, but this is literally a life and death situation. There is good reason for him to be upset. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, but when you like my thought of what nerd rage is, is like you rearranged my comic books. Rawr! Oh, oh no, no. What's your definition? You cast Robert Pattinson as Batman. Rawr! No. Well, exactly. On shot first is, exactly. is ultimate nerd rage. Right, but these are all things that are not are the antithesis of life and death. Well, decisions. to you, no, to they them, are. It is life and death. But they're but they're wrong. Well, sure, in your opinion, whether or not. No, this is not a matter of opinion. I feel oh, like boy. it is. I feel like I'm having nerd rage. Oh boy. <laughs> But I, I think it's a great... When you are going in space <laughs> and they take the pilot away who's practiced, this is actually a life and death decision. That's fair. <laughs> and I'm really upset about no, no, this. Clearly. But I'll, I'll put the comic books back. It's also, though, it, it's also a great scene, like you said, John, because it shows, yes, it's, he has to go, but what's the cost? Yeah. I need my crew, but I guess I don't really need them if I'm going to... Because they're like, if you want to stick with Mattingly, yeah. you're not on 13. Right. We're pushing you back another mission or two. Yeah. And, and, and so, so for him, like, it's like, oh, I'll lose my chance to walk on the moon. Right. There's see, And there's that's why I like this film. There's a little bit of under the current... Absolutely. Of, ...of this selfish desire to achieve something. And it's all in that look of him looking at Armstrong, walking on the moon. It's all there in Hank's oh, yeah. face. And so when it comes out like this, he's been sitting on it the whole time. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it is such a and I don't think that he is behaving I don't think it's immoral the no, choice no, no. he makes. He's not no, childish no, no, no. or anything. But it is definitely selfish to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um and we cut to uh Kevin Bacon in the shower with a girl and the phone rings and she's like, Don't answer and he's like, No, I have to answer every call because I'm on the backup crew. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of bitching and moaning as he walks out and he picks up and this is all played great. Picks up the phone, listens listens screams yeah <laughs> that's a great moment and what's even better and again this is this is pure filmmaking is then everything is told in the cut you're in this excited screaming happy jack swaggart moment and cut to silence gary sinise yeah. taking it in yeah it's a great great moment mm-hmm. apparently they had a whole dramatic scene written that was, you know, them telling him with lots of, and, and they just didn't like it. And again, it sounds like it was Tom Hanks's idea. Why don't you just play the reaction? Yeah. Subtlety. That's smart. Well, I, uh... damn. What I love about Gary Sinise's performance and what I love about that character is that it's just the, he is trying really, really hard to be the honorable guy. Yeah. You know, he's trying. Definitely. And you could see all of that pain. Oh, I'm not going to the moon. Mm -hmm. Like everything I've been working harder than anybody else for, I'm not going to get. That's understandable, too. A hundred percent. Medical guys. I mean, I know it's their ass if I get sick up there, but I mean, Jesus. And then you see the emotion kind of take him for a minute and he gets angry. And then he's like, and then he pulls it back. and He's like, Swigert, he'll, he'll be fine. He's, uh. He's strong. It'll be a hell of a mission, one for the books. He's trying to do the right thing. It's crushing. <laughs> yeah. And then the moment that's just... And you cut to Tom Hanks and Bill Paxton, who are just kind of being there for him. And then the moment that is just the worst 
is he goes, hey, why don't I go talk to Deke and then I'm sure we can work it out. This was my call. Yeah, that stings. <laughs> well, here, so that's an interesting, that's an interesting statement. Mm. Why does Tom Hanks, so was it his call? In the way, do you define this as this was his call? Well, yes, in the way that um, they're going forward in the mission without him, as opposed to going forward in the mission without that whole crew. Exactly. That's right, his right. call. I agree. Yeah. So, so he could have said, because if they had said to him, there's a chance that Mattingly might have the measles. Do you want to take him or not take him? Right. He would have said, take him. Right. right. He doesn't tell Mattingly that part of it. Right. He says, this is my call. Like, to me, this is him. This is what it means to be the boss sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You have no, to take the a great hit. point. Yeah. Is that because he, because how is Mattingly going to feel about him? I mean, that's a, you know, like, oh, he could hate him. You right. Know, he just took, I just took away the most important thing in the world to you. He doesn't throw it off. He could have easily said it was the flight surgeon's call and not right. done it. Right. Um, it's a really interesting. It's rough. I think it also allows for later on for Sinise to be able to work with those guys later because mm. he doesn't blame them. He right. Blames yeah. Tom and his hit, even though he knows the right thing. He blames uh, uh, Lovell. But his reaction in that moment. Yeah. I mean, it's still. He doesn't yell at him. He gets up. And he says, "Look, I don't have the measles." I'm not going to get the measles. And he walks out. Yeah. And Paxton, Fredo, runs after him. Which apparently, uh, Fred and Ken, they were like best friends throughout mm. the entire astronaut program. Wow. Let's take Kevin, uh, not Kevin Spacey, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> and put him in the simulator. Mm. <laughs> this scene's just rough. Because <laughs> <laughs> they throw something at him. And we had seen early, again, it's perfect script construction, earlier... We saw them throw something at Ken Mattingly. He handles it. Yeah. Now they throw something which sounds like it was far easier to deal with at Kevin Bacon. Does not handle it. Yeah. And the looks from Tom Hanks and Bill Paxton as we, he does something and they're like, oh, what are you doing? And then it's... Okay, we're at three Gs. Five Gs. We're coming in too steep. I'm going to stay in this role, see if I can pull this out. But we're at eight Gs. Nine. Ten. We're 12 G's. 12 G's. We're running up. And you could see Kevin Bacon know, like, oh, I just killed us. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's great. It shows how hard it is to step into a step into a role, replace somebody. Yeah. Nobody like the new guy. The guys who are there, they don't want the new guy there. And the new guy's got to prove himself. And it's, right. Well, and in this particular case, they're dead. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Like literally they're going in two days less than two days at this point, yeah. our life will be entirely in this guy's hands. <laughs> that is a rough thing to be in. But you had to wonder why. Why they were so determined to do it anyway. They could have just made Lovell step down. Yeah. The space program. Like the guys in charge. They could well, have been like, but then you have, we're not going. But then you have... It pushes things back. Right, but then you have the whole team. How much has the other, the next team been training at all? Well, that's what right. I'm saying. Yeah. So they, they, I think the space program themselves had a selfish desire to get back up there as quickly as possible. Oh, you're saying cancel the whole mission? Yes, because logically that's what yeah, you do. the backup crew can't go. Yeah. Right. So you, start you can't training. bring 14 up right. like they did because they, you need right. months and months. So, yeah if, yeah, if they don't let Jim Lovell go with Jack. Yeah. You, you have to scrap the whole thing. And exactly. Well, this dollars. is this weird. I My guess is you have both experienced a thing like this, where in planning for the whatever, 
you put so much energy mm-hmm. into this thing and we got to do this exactly the right way. It's going to be exactly. And then when you get really close, you have to make a decision on the seat of your pants yep. yeah. and all that planning shit kind of is out the window because now, right. I mean, certainly working on a movie, it's always like that. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, I, I plan to do all this. I guess I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you hope the planning does give you more information Absolutely. when that decision comes. Yeah. 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 As, yeah. as a writer, you write something, you spend a long time writing the script, and then they're shooting it, and the actor comes to you right before they're <laughs> shooting, like, I don't want to do this line. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. And you're like, uh, what about this? Yeah. <laughs> I just or, pulled or, out of my ass. Well, or just, <laughs> well, and those are those are the small ones. Yeah. Like, the, the bigger ones are like, oh, I just ran out of money, lost the location. The actor doesn't show up. I have to invent a new scene. Yeah. You well, know, that's I, why I'm not the, a director. Yeah. <laughs> um, You've had I, actors not show up for scenes? I, ha- I, I have. N- I haven't had that one, but I know it's happened all the time. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, with my student films, it happens all the time. I choke but, a motherfucker out. <laughs> but you remember when we did um, Some Like It Hot? Yeah, yeah. Marilyn Monroe didn't show up over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's uh, we've done, or, uh, you know, think about uh, Coppola and Apocalypse Now. Right, It's right. like, oh, a hurricane has destroyed all your stuff. Brando shows up fat. Yeah. Like, he, it's like, we have no ending to the film. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like, these are the constant sort of, Martin Sheen had a heart attack. You know, like, like this, oh, what do I do now? This is why John Ford never worked with Brando. Sure. I'm not working with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> John Wayne shows up on time, son. Because John Ford is scary. That's right. And that's what just, oh, never mind. Um, and he has a little conversation with Deke, uh, and and again, Deke's like, well, "How are we doing?" Yeah. And Jim Lovell says the right thing. If I if I had a dollar for every time they killed me in that thing, I wouldn't have to work for you. <laughs> um, which I'm sure is true. Oh yeah. But every time that he got killed in that thing was months ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't two day. It wasn't with a day before the launch. No, but you make a great point. It's the it, it, you keep seeing Tom Hanks doing this Jim level thing of the understated leadership. Yeah, this is yeah. what I have to say to to Mattingly. This is what I have to say to Deke. This is what I have to do to get everything going smoothly. Well, here's it. Okay, I, I don't know how to frame this quite the right way. One of the things that happens with the astronauts, and we saw it in the right stuff, and we and we're certainly seeing it here, mm-hmm. is there is the public uh, facing personality which is I'm in charge, I'm patriotic, I'm self-sacrificing, I'm extremely competent, I'm calm, and that that is hiding whatever the inner stuff is. Right. And they were just, and, we, and you see it in this film later when we get to, oh, you're on Vox or you're not on Vox. We'll see these moments of like, I can't let the real emotion what's going on show, both because within a leadership situation, you don't want all that to show because you got other people who might you might freak out, but also you have the general public out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. who needs an image of a hero that isn't necessarily the truth. Yeah. How important is that in life to present fa- facades that are highly respectable, knowing that those things are not necessarily the truth? Oh, man. That's a good point. A good, I, I I would say that back in this time they were very important. Yeah. But now that we live in a day where everybody's on social media, everybody's there's you're still presenting something that's false, but you're giving people so much access to your life that they can see behind the ma- the curtain. So a lot like a lot of times it seems pointless to put up a f- facade because you're you're getting cameras on you from all angles you can't hide the warts right uh i don't know i just think it's become less important uh even though people still try to do it mm-hmm. i i feel like i'm so mixed on this thing because both on a macro level like post kennedy vietnam watergate nixon and going up into today we have pulled off the veneer of all the people that are supposed to be heroes right you know 
And there are people like like Mark Maron is one that comes to mind where him putting out his this is my real feelings are great comedians and artists who are going, no, I have all this dark shit in me and here it is. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy those things exist. But I also think having Captain America to look up to and, and seeing that Captain America as a possibility for me as a kid, um, it's something to aspire to in terms of this is the right way to behave. This is yeah. what is heroic. And I don't mean just Captain America, the Marvel character, but I mean that general idea right, right. of the soldier, the president, the leader, the the hero, you know, the John Wayne, mm-hmm. even though that wasn't true, right. was something that was valuable. And I think we've lost something by not having those fake things to look up to. And to some degree, they're real because Jim Lovell is a real hero. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the ability to take control of his emotions in that moment and in many moments that we're going to see and then do the right thing, that saves lives. The same with everybody else we see. Yeah. If you take away the models of that behavior, then can we have what happens in this movie happen? I guess that's maybe my question. Yeah. I think I know I don't want to get political, but you could take, say, any two recent presidents and say that one of them put on the face of leadership. Yes. And one of them, the traditional one that we the would, traditional I, one yeah. and one of them put on a false face of what they wanted people to think or isn't putting on a face or yeah. something. Um, different people would probably peg different presidents as the phony one. Yes. But that's beside the point. Yes. Mm. It's the night before the launch. And uh, spectators have come up. And our astronauts are there, and they're, of course, far away because they can't get sick, and they're kind of waving. And who shows up? Marilyn. Oh, yeah. That's a great moment. Well, hey, that looks like Marilyn Lovell. But it can't be. She's not coming to the launch. I heard it was going to be a hell of a show. So who told you that? Some guy I know. Uh, and there's great smiles between them, and you just really... Tom Hanks and Kathleen Quinlan are great. Yeah, you feel the love, but then uh, also that dynamic is still there because he's like, you can't quit me. And he doesn't even, I don't th- even think he says goodbye. He just turns like, you heard what happened with Ken and just turns around and leaves. Yeah. Like, like yep. that's it. I'm yep. going off now to go into space for mm-hmm. a week. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because he makes a bigger deal out of it, then it becomes an emotional thing for her to carry. Yeah. If he makes it like it's just an, it's a Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Then she doesn't have to carry yeah. that weight. There wasn't. Mm. Don't worry. Yeah. There was, None was, of that. Like stuff. you heard about that. Yeah. And I'm done. And that's their, you know, relationship. Well, th- you know what? It's a weird way. This is related to the previous question. Mm. He is not showing his true feelings to her, and expecting her not to show her true feelings to him. Right. Her job is not to is to pretend she's not afraid. That's a right. great point. That yeah. is her job. On the night before he leaves, definitely. Yeah. That's her job. Yeah. It's funny how often I, I've noticed this, you know, being a parent and in all sorts of situations, frequently our job is not to actually reveal our true feelings. Oh, of course. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like this is not the time for that. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know? Right. Now is the it, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's April eleventh, nineteen seventy. My wife's one year birthday. Oh, she's one year old on this day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and we see Guta, I think his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Guta Vent. Guta Vent, who's, I guess, the doctor guy. What is he, scientist? No. He must be a rocket scientist. No, he's just the dude who helps him in his suit and okay. brings him. He's the like he's his chaperone who, who gets him in the suit. I, I don't know his title, but he gets him in the suit and puts him in the capsule. And He's and not a doctor. They're getting some little stuff <laughs> put on them. Yeah. Fluffer. Um, NASA fluffer. And we... <laughs> It puts the suit on your body. NASA fluffer is going to be my favorite. That's what I'm going for is Halloween. 
I mean, when you get the rocket to go up, it really goes up. <laughs> it really goes up. <laughs> I mean, talk about talk about third stage. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of jokes here, folks. Ew. Man, we have liftoff on that one. Anyway, Ew, okay. all right. <laughs> all right, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn is in the shower. She's washing her hands. We hear the sound of a ring drop. It drops into the drain. She can't get it out. True story really happened. Yeah. yeah. But not the safari in Burbank. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, we have that music as they get into the suits and the beautiful shots as they stand up in a frame. Um, I think the shot selection and camera movement in this movie is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ron Howard, I, I, I was debating when I would say this, but I guess I'll say it right now. I think Ron Howard might be the most underrated director in Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. I think this guy has made a lot of really good films. This probably is my favorite of his films. Yeah. And he is a consummate craftsman. He's gotten great performances out of people, and nobody puts him on a, any of the lists. No. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, I mean, he, has he made a movie like Jaws? Has he made a movie like The Godfather or Taxi Driver? Right. No. But he's made a lot of really good movies mm-hmm. and some movies that nobody cares about. That's also true. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> There's the moment where Bill Paxson has to spit out his gum and the guy has to hold his gum. <laughs> yeah. This was the real Fred. This was his one objection to the film. He's like, I don't chew gum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, Kevin Bacon freaked out They put the first time they put that helmet on him. Oh. Uh, which doesn't surprise me. Oh. If you're a little claustrophobic and you're suddenly breathing in that thing, because they were the real suits. I mean, yeah. they were really had onboard yeah. Yeah. air and like. God damn right. That's kind of freaky. I would ask them what on the whole suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the launch sequence, the build up to the launch, and the launch itself, I think is phenomenal filmmaking. And they go, they're going up into the elevator in the gantry. The looks between the astronauts are just great. You see fear and excitement and intensity and like, I've had some moments that were exciting in my yeah, life. Yeah. I cannot imagine. <laughs> There's nothing remotely close to what this would be. Yeah. Um, or should there be? But fair. <laughs> yeah. There's so much tension. The shot selection is beautiful. All of this stuff is constructed. They worked with Digital Domain. It's a lot of model work. It's a lot of compositing. It's a lot of multi-passes. Yeah. They really were in the real area at Cape Canaveral, or they really did uh, do some of these moves, but all the stuff with the rocket, that's all put it in post. It looks that's... absolutely amazing. Yeah. And Tom Hanks said one, the one shot he always wanted to do in his entire life as soon as he became an actor was to be in a spacesuit and walk across the gantry into a capsule. Hell yes. <laughs> that was like yes. what he wanted to do. You know what's cool? Like now that we're entering like this world of VR and things, we're going to be able to kind of visually do some things like this. I almost bought the Oculus yesterday. Yeah. Because uh, I tried it out last week and... Uh, a friend broke almost broke my legs doing it because uh, I don't know if you know this story, Steve, but I was I put on the Oculus and it's that game where you walk across the plank that's hanging off the building. Okay, and if you have a fear of heights, it's legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, and so uh, one of my coworkers thought it'd be funny because my other the other guy is like step to your right, and apparently you actually do fall when you step off the plank. Like oh. you fall and it you can't see anything else, so right, you're right, legitimately right. in the world. Well. 
he just thought it'd be funny to push me as I'm stepping to my right to fall. So I freaked out because I have a fear of heights. And I immediately like jumped and put and fell on both my knees and my elbows oh. on the concrete oh. of or cement of our place. And so I'm just now today, seven days later, able to walk without pain. Oh my god. But it was like the worst. And but it sold the VR thing to me a thousand percent. And it's like four hundred to five hundred dollars. But in my head, I'm like, this could be worth it because apparently you can watch TV shows, oh, yeah. you can go nature stuff, like all of it is available to you in a very real uh, encompassing way. So you're right, Steve. And there is a na- there is a space thing. Oh sure, space app on it. So I'm like, oh my god. So oh. I I got it. Oh you do. It's great. Oh great. Yeah, and then I broke it, and it's getting and it's being sent back to me tomorrow. <laughs> oh so they're shit. Replacing it. I mean, I didn't break it, but it 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 stopped working. Oh, it just stopped so, working. Yeah. And so I sent it. The tracking went off, and so Oculus oh, is replacing it. So it will show up again tomorrow. Nice. And maybe I will check out the space thing. I think there should be some rules about VR. Okay. Like, you do not mess with someone. Well, of course not. <laughs> I mean, well, this is also the it, thing. You know the thing that happens with young, particularly men, of like, it'll be fun to do this thing that'll scare the crap out of someone and possibly hurt them, right. and won't that be awesome? Like, you're standing yeah. on the cliff near the water, and oh, I'll just push them off the cliff into the water. Once you get to a certain age, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, just don't do those things Some to people me. just take longer to get yeah. to that place, I guess. They're, I love, too, by the way, the way they have to strap them in, and they actually have to step on their shoulder to yeah. push it down. That I is a that. tight seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, That's why I like that scene in Armageddon. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Owen Wilson's best line ever. How you doing, Oscar? Great. Yeah. I got that excited, scared feeling. Like 98% excited, 2% scared. Maybe it's more. It could be two. It could be ninety-eight percent scared, two percent excited. But that's what makes it so intense. Is it's so confused. I can't really figure it out. <laughs> but either way, it's, either way, it's a rush or something. It's a rush. Yeah. Ed Harris. Oh. I can't believe we, it takes this long in the movie to get to Ed Harris. Right. So good. Uh, our, who came from the right stuff? Yes. Yeah. Um, he is so good in this movie. He's. I won't say he steals the film because that's not possible. But every moment he's in, mm-hmm. he is amazing mm-hmm. and fascinating and carries so much strength. He plays Gene Kranz, who is one of the many. Uh, what's his title? Uh, the flight director. Flight director. Um, and they, the way we're introduced to him is a box comes in that's heading towards him mm-hmm. because his wife has made something. We hear that there's a tradition and he, we open it up and we see this vest and he puts on the vest and everyone applauds and goes, I guess we can go now. <laughs> this is a real tradition. She, yeah, he was yeah. really was superstitious and wow. she really did sew a new, I don't know if it was a new vest every time, was it? I think it was, yeah. Um See, Steve, superstition. Superstition. Lots of people are superstitious. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a waistcoat? Yeah. Did he really call it that? I think so, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) I love the shot of Gunter sealing the hatch through the hatch. That's really cool. And it's like those doors, so many locks and tumblers, and you're like, it's a little little ominous, even though it's not. (laughs) You're in there. Well, you're on top of like, you know, 10,000 pounds of like (laughs) rocket fuel or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and now it's time for a go-no-go for launch. Apollo 13 flight controllers, listen up. Give me a go-no-go for launch. I love this. Mm. Yeah. Just going around the room, hearing the goes from each of the department. Booster. Go. Retro. Go. Vital. We're go flight. Guidance. Guidance go. Surgeon. Go flight. Ecom. We're go flight. GNC. We're go. Tell me. Go. Control. Go flight. Procedures. Go. Inco. Go. FAO. We are go. Network. Go. Recovery. Go. Capcom. We're go flight. 
Launch Control, this is Houston. We are go for launch. We are go for launch. T-minus 60 seconds and counting. We see Ken Mattingly out on this field, far away, looking at the rocket ship, standing next to his Corvette. We have inside the capsule, the camera is panning across the faces. This is a real tension builder, suspension. Uh, and, and a lot of this is this is editorial, this is music, this digital domain doing some great special effects. And there's this moment where as the tension is building, Jim Lovell looks at the abort switch. Yeah. Why? Why does he look at it at this moment? It's the last chance. <laughs> I would think so. It's the last chance to yeah. flick it and end this thing. Yeah, yeah. And if something goes wrong, what happens? Do you have, do you know what happens if they hit the abort? Oh, the uh, yeah, the the capsule pops off the top and it has a, it has a uh, the a tower jettison. They call it. Oh. He does it later in the movie. Hmm. They, there's a the tower oh, will jettison off and it'll pull the capsule off and then it's got a parachute and it wow. supposedly will deliver them to the ground safely. <laughs> he doesn't, and maybe he would have been better off if he hit that switch. Now that you think about it. We are go for launch. T minus 15, 14, 13. And there's close-ups of the crew, and the ignition sequence starts, and it starts shaking. We hear Tom Hanks say, The clock is running! The wives are crying. The rocket starts. Uh, we hit ignition, and that huge explosion happens. And apparently, I think it was Buzz Aldrin saw the footage and said, wow, where did you find this? You must have found this in a vault somewhere. And Ron Howard said, no, no, we made all this. <laughs> and he said, wow, that's really good. Can we use it? <laughs> There's a great top-down shot of the rocket coming towards camera because Ron Howard wanted to show shots at first that we were used to seeing and then show shots that were impossible that humans could have seen. Right. Uh, and the rocket goes up, and we're in the clouds, and then we see space appear. It's funny. I have a note that says, ask Dave what that tower thing that gets shot off is, which you already <laughs> answered. It is. Um, and then we get to the first stage. This is so cool. When that first stage drops off, and he says, get ready for a little uh, bump or something? Yeah. yeah. A little jolt. <laughs> a little jolt. Yeah. And they fly forward, despite yeah. being strapped in with someone's shoulder on their arms. And then that next stage ignites, and they get thrust back. So cool. And then, all of a sudden, we have five engines, and one of them goes out. Houston, this is 13. We've got a center engine cutoff. Go on the other four. And there is a quick kind of panic, and there are looks between our crew members, which are really the... Oh, we're gonna die. This is a good <laughs> shot. We're gonna die right now. And then they go down and they say, "No, no, we're okay. You just had to burn them a little longer." And you remember what Jim Lovell says at that moment? Yeah, we just had our one glitch. We just had our glitch for the mission, <laughs> which is in the transcript. He really said that. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. They said they adhered to the transcripts pretty close, really close for all the interactions with NASA. I mean, except were, for the Houston, yeah. we have a problem that yeah. didn't happen. Yeah, that didn't happen. But, uh, Ken walks back <laughs> to his car. They do one more burn. And and Jim Lovell says, and gentlemen, that is how we do that. And now they start to take their stuff off. And this is the first yeah. uh, actual vomit comet shot in the movie where they you start stealing that real real zero gravity. Mm. I just can't even imagine. You get twenty five seconds every time they they had to they had to choreograph this into twenty five second bursts to get these shots take after take after take mm. with the cameraman floating and the director floating and everybody floating it's like there's nobody that's uh, immune to it you know yeah, everybody's right. weightless it's so insane so what ha i think what happened is is they said you know what 
in order for our actors to know what this is like, we're going to take them on the KC-135 to experience zero-G. And they went up there, and they brought a couple of cameras just to do some test footage. And apparently, Bill Paxton is the guy who got it, like, just loved it. And we're just doing flips and having a ball. (laughs) Of course. And they do it a bunch. And it was Steven Spielberg who said, because he's an executive producer, and he said, you should shoot the movie in there. And they go, we can't. We can't do that. Yeah. We just did it to give the actors the experience. He says, no, you should. They decide to shoot a certain set of scenes, but they didn't shoot. They're not going to shoot close-ups. They're not right, going right, to shoot right. two shots. It's only the wide shots because they only could do it for 25, 40 seconds, whatever it is, and everything else is shot on a stage. Yeah. And they do maybe a, a hundred shots or something. And they I totally made up that number, so that's sure. not correct. <laughs> and, 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 they go, and Ron Howard goes back to Universal and says, listen, I think we should do more and convinces them to do two or three times as much as they've already done. Wow. They ended up doing 600 of these parabolic oh flights. <laughs> because every because you do a sh- you know if you had to do four takes, well that was four times you had to do it, you know, and wow. and and they did 600. They have more zero g time than a lot of people in the NASA program. Because yeah, no one else, it. I mean, and it costs so much to do every yeah. one of these. Yeah. And I don't know how you act because you only, like, if you're an astronaut, first of all, you don't have to act and you're mm. just up there weightless, but you have, you've had time to get used to it. As the actors, like, this is happening just now for under a minute and I have to ignore all the weird sensations in my yeah. body and just give a performance. Well, I don't know how you do it. Well, and I think of things like, well, there's a guy who has to pull focus, yeah. which means he's the person who's like, the distance you are from camera, I have to pull focus. Well, he's in zero G. So he's experienced his own thing but he has to be on the camera yeah. and the camera's moving and the you know it's like you think of how long it takes to set up a shot and to practice it and to get it just right and you have right you're going up this because before you have the zero g moment you have the going up really right. massive g's yeah. moment yeah getting ready to do that shot and then you've got to i can't imagine yeah at the bottom of every arc then you have your you weigh at least two g's you're, yeah, yeah. It's that you're coming down so you have to you're 300, 400 pounds of pressure. Yeah. Well, and, and these are only the wide shots. So when they're in the um, the plane, the lighting is really limited because you only have so much space. So they've built the set inside the plane and they put some lighting there. And then when they go on set, they have to match what's in the plane. So even though they're on a big stage. And then they have to create the sense of zero-G gravity and exactly the space that they were in before to mass a sh- match a shot they might have shot two months ago yeah. while floating around on a plane. Yeah. That is, This is advanced I cannot filmmaking. imagine the technicalities in, in making this. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Flight booster, SOS 4B shut down. TLI's on the money. Looks good, Flight. Roger, Flight over. Okay, guys, we're going to the moon. And Fred throws up, <laughs> which he says he did not throw up. Oh, yeah, I heard that, too. Yeah. And the, the transcripts and all the records say he, he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think Jimmy Lovell even talked about I'm bearing the lead a little bit here, but when I was in high school, I uh, was a nerd, not like the cool guy that I am now, but uh, the, some of the, some quite of the a transformation. Nerds, yeah. Thanks. Some of the nerds got, uh, taken to see Jim Lovell speak. No. Oh. And so I got to go see him speak. I was 16 or 17 and I knew his name. I didn't know anything about the, this story. And I was like, and he gets up there and tells this story and I'm like, what the, 
F is going on? This is insane. And he just kept going through. And I'm like, this is the most amazing thing. And he was just like, yeah, this happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was unbelievable. So you knew the whole, the story before seeing this film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I really knew nothing about it. it well, that's that's what I meant about, you know, uh, one of the things I meant about having uh, the Apollo 1 thing start things out. Like, the our space program was touted. We only talked about the victories, you know? Right. right. If you weren't there, when we weren't alive when they were happening. It's not like they were taught in schools. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, we went to the moon. It's like, hey, no, all this shit happened, and, and a lot of it was tough. Yeah. I had no idea what the story was until he told me, and I could not believe it. It's time for a docking maneuver. Yeah. Hello. This is what we saw. This is what we saw. Kevin Bacon demonstrating with the bottle and the glass at the beginning of our film. This is what we saw. Ken Mattingly practice and do successfully. And now it's Jack Swaggart's time. And man, there is a lot of nervousness in the room Mm -hmm. that he's going to do this thing well. And it's beautifully constructed with the looks. Uh, You know, Tom Hanks gives uh, Kevin Bacon a look. (laughs) He knows he's getting a look. (laughs) (laughs) Fred is obviously nervous and there's a I love to when it's getting closer and he's like I got it I got it I got it and then it scrapes yeah. into yeah. that phone yeah. what's this great thing like in the right stuff is like you you know that this is going to be fine well you know like it's right. so good at it building tension for moments that yeah. we know are going to turn out okay and it's but like you said it's a great way to show their relationships it gives you a little bit of comic relief mm-hmm. in the scraping noise. It's, yeah, it's a good moment. I gotta get out of this suit. Uh, Houston, uh, we are uh, ready for the uh, beginning of the PTC, and I think once we're in that barbecue roll, uh, Jack and I will eat. Hey, I'm hungry. Are you sure? I could eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros. Great look by Tom Hanks. <laughs> Want to know the origin of this particular one? Sure. <laughs> so... Gary Busey was visiting some oh, that day. <laughs> and Ron and Bill went to Gary Busey and say, what would be a really country boy thing to say? Yeah. This is a Gary Busey line. Of course oh my it God. is. Right? That makes so much sense. <laughs> and no country boy has ever said this ever. <laughs> he just assumed this sounds country. And a, again, this is a great cut. I could eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros. Cut to just a gross ashtray yeah. tobacco shot. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of smoking. A oh, lot so of people are smoking. smoking in this oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. And I think the guy putting the ashtray out is Clint Howard. Um, yeah, sounds about you're right. Yeah. And we kind of say, see you tomorrow, and we fade to black. It's day three. We see the sunrise over the capsule. We see Jim Lovell peeing into the suction tube. <laughs> they see the, uh, they do the over- offboard dump. Uh, which they do, and we see a beautiful spray of <laughs> urine flying yep. out into space. This apparently was one of the actual astronauts' favorite parts of the film. Because <laughs> yeah. this is the question they got asked over and over again. Yeah, right. Here it is. Here it comes. The constellation Urion. And now it's time to head for their father's broadcast. And uh, one of the daughters doesn't want to go because the Beatles just broke up, which I understand. <laughs> so, yeah. And we see uh, Tom Hanks begin the broadcast. Okay, uh, good evening, uh, America, and welcome aboard Apollo 13. And we're going to turn on some beautiful music, and we start playing Spirit in the Sky. <laughs> Hello, world. I think this sequence is totally amazing. Yeah. All the zero-G stuff is so fun. Mm-hmm. There's so, it's kind of the most joyful in the whole movie. Yeah, it is. Except for that we find out that the uh, networks are not carrying it. Yeah. Uh, 
Which is once again, it's it's where the space program was at this time. It's like, yeah. we did it already. What's the big deal? We're moving on to. If other you things. look at the if you look at the t- the TVs too, you see one of the shows is uh, I Dream of Genie, yeah. which is a show about an <laughs> about astronaut. astronaut. Yeah, right. <laughs> They'd rather watch the fake show. <laughs> to about be the fair, astronaut. that astronaut does have a genie. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, that's a good true. point. I mean, come on, uh, Barbara Eden. I'd watch that show. Sure, yeah. I did watch that show <laughs> a lot. I I can't imagine watching that today. I, I just can't imagine that would that would be a fun thing to watch. Um, and this is also where we first cut to the old folks' home, mm. and we meet uh, Jim's mom, yeah. which is Ron Howard's mom. Yeah, uh, she's really good in it, and she's a little upset because her son is supposed to be on TV. And the, and the, the really sad thing is, Marilyn kind of going, "Do they know they're not on the air?" It's like we're not going to tell them. That's, yeah, it's so crushing. Once again, these white lies you're talking about, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Putting on a face. And I love to the moment where um, Jack Swigert, Kevin Bacon says. That's no joke. They'll jump on him. <laughs> that was an improvised line. So uh, this is the crew of the Apollo 13. Wishing everyone back on Earth uh, a pleasant evening. And we see, I guess Xander Berkeley is sort of the press representative guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the one real dick, it seems like, in the movie. Oh, Xander. He does a good job, though, of making it. He's not arch. You know, it's right. believable. Mm. He's he doesn't seem insidious, but he is uh, icky. Yeah. <laughs> well, he just is a little cold. And we're done with our broadcast. And uh, Houston says, when you get a chance, if you could just stir your oxygen tanks. And there's a great shot of Kevin Bacon as he's reaching for that switch, and you know that oh, this is going to be it. And he hits the switch, and we go inside the circuits, and there's kind of an explosion, yep. and suddenly all hell breaks loose. Hey, we've got a problem here. Alarms are going off. The master arms go off. You know, they kind of go to Swagger. What'd you do? And he's like, I just skirt the tanks. Yeah. And in Houston, all the monitors are going down and things are going haywire. And then we have Tom Hanks saying, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which was not from the transcripts. It's something apparently Jim Lovell said in talking to Ron Howard. Oh, wow. Yeah. At least... Yeah. Get it from the horse's mouth. <laughs> yeah, but he did not actually say it at the time. Oh, there's another master alarm, Houston. I'm checking the quad. Christ, that was no repress valve. Maybe it's a quad. We've got a computer restart. I'm going to reconfigure the RCS. We've got a big light. Fire doesn't make any sense. We've got multiple caution and warning, Houston. There is so much chaos going on in this moment. It's really well filmed. Apparently, this is like all the actors, all the Houston control people are just pouring through all the transcripts and coming to Ron Howard and saying, well, what if I say this? What if I say this? And he's calling all of that and kind of deciding, okay, yes, that's good. That's not. Let's put that over here. Let's have you say this at this and timing it all out and just building the script as they go based on all these things the actors and other people are finding within the transcripts. That's amazing. And they do such a good job of doing, it's all this technical jargon that nobody knows. I don't, yeah. I'm not even going to pretend I know, but like you get from context how bad it is. Houston, we have a main bus A undervolt now too. Uh, it's reading 25 and a half. Main bus B is reading zip right now. And you're like, yeah. what? 
but you're like, fuck, I'm scared. <laughs> well, and what's so great, too, is that they managed to convey that this is really scary and right on the edge of panic, but also that these are all professionals yeah. who are yeah. really well-trained, who are staying remarkably calm and on point of trying to do their jobs while it's happening. Econ, what's your data telling you? Uh, O2, tank two, not reading at all. Tank one is at uh, 725 PSI and falling. Fuel cells one and three are... Uh... Oh boy, what's going on here? Flight, let me get back to you. And then there's this moment too where Houston starts to go, this can't, we can't have a quadruple failure. This yeah. is all, got, maybe it's instrumentation. Yeah. Maybe nothing's happening. Yeah. And then we hear Fredo saying, we got a wicked shimmy up here. You come TNC, these guys are talking about bangs and shimmies up there. It doesn't sound like instrumentation to me. I love too. And throughout this, we have this zero G maneuvering going back and forth past each other. And it's like nothing we've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. It's interesting the difference, I think, this you know conversation we have many times, between, of course, you could do all of that zero-G stuff by just doing everything in CG. Yeah. And it's not the same. Used to hear in the mud, did you say switch to Omni, bravo. Roger, and the signal strength it's on the high fighting me. What's the story here, Jack? We keep flirting with gimbal lock. Everyone's still talking and panicked and all this technical stuff, and then everything quiets down. As Tom Hanks turns and looks out the window, and all the sound goes into the background, and we see the gas. Houston, we are venting something out into space. And the camera pushes in on uh, Ed Harris. It's got to be the oxygen. And then there are looks. Suddenly, and this is again classic filmmaking rule of in order to have a moment be dramatic, chaos, 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 right. slow, yeah. silent, and then this moment takes on all of this weight. Yeah. And it's kind of like, do you, did you hear me? Roger, Odyssey, we copy your venting. And then snap, everybody goes back to work. Give me an alarm. Okay, let's everybody into a four levels check. And this is where, man, Ed Harris is so, he just cuts through everything. Quiet down. Quiet down. Let's stay cool, people. Procedures, I need another computer up in the RTCC. I want everybody to alert your support teams. Wake up anybody you need, get them in here. Let's work the problem, people. Let's not make things worse by guessing. And, and I love the way this line is written. Uh, Ed Harris's line is, "Can we review our status here, Sai? Let's look at this thing from a uh, from a uh, standpoint of status." And and I love that line because the repetition of status is actually bad writing mm. in a way. <laughs> and what it is, and I'm sure it's out of the transcripts, is it shows his nervousness. Yeah. Because he says this thing in a weird way. Right. But it also shows his control. And because his next line is, "What have we got on a spacecraft that's good?" <laughs> <laughs> And the response is, I'll get back to you. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> that's brutal. Uh, we hear from Fred, the ship's bleeding to death. And then we have this shot of Clint Howard's glasses, which is a reflection of the computer screen. Yeah. Such a good shot. It pulls back as he wipes them. It's an amazing shot. And he, this is the moment where he he's really good in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And his weird look works so perfectly for this character. And he recommends shutting down the fuel cells. Uh, or shutting around the valves to the fuel cells. And this is an example of like, maybe Dave, you know what that means. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I mean, I know what a fuel cell is, I know what a <laughs> valve is, mm -hmm. but I have no idea what that means on a space capsule. 
And so now you've said a thing that no one in the audience means. How is it dramatic? Right. Well, it's all the reactions from everybody in the room that makes it dramatic. Right. And because we, because they all go, oh shit. We, the audience, all go, oh shit. Yeah. Exactly. This is a big. <laughs> this is a big deal. You close them, you can't open them again. You can't land on the moon with one healthy fuel cell. Gene, the Odyssey is dying. From my chair here, this is the last option. And there's a look up to Ed Harris. Capcom, let's have them close the reactant valves. And they tell him. And then there's the reaction on the spaceship because they know what the problem, they know what that means. Yeah. And I love, again, the repetition. Are you saying you want the whole smash? Closing down the react valves for fuel cells shut down? Shutting down the fuel cells. Did I hear you right? And they asked if he copies. You copy? Yes, Houston, we copy. We just lost the moon. What a moment. What a great... It, particularly, that's what we built to. Yeah. From Tom Hanks's look at the beginning of the movie to Jack Swigert's reaction when he finds out he's going to go to the... In the capsules and all of the... Like, we're going to the moon. And in this yeah. moment, we're not going to the moon. But it's going to get worse. Because we shut down the fuel, the the fuel, the valves and the reactors or whatever it is. And they look and they look at that oxygen tank and they look at the number and it's at 200 or something. And it sort of seems to stabilize and then it drops right out to zero. Shit. God damn it. Uh, Houston, uh, O2 on one is still falling. One thing I always wonder, was Clint Howard totally wrong? Uh, What would have happened if they didn't do that? I wish I could tell you that I knew enough about it <laughs> to give you a competent I don't answer, know. but I don't even want to pretend I know that much. And then there's a long pause, and Tom Hanks says... Fredo, how long does it take to power up the limb? Three hours by the checklist. We don't have that much time. Tom Hanks' performance is so good, yeah. and they just start moving. Yeah. And he's ahead, of, he's ahead of mission control on that, right. obviously, mm-hmm. you know. He's a leader. He knows what he knows what the decision means that they just made, and this is the only choice. And you know, mission control comes and tells him that five seconds, ten seconds, however much later. But he he was already on it. We already have Fredo in the limb, Houston. We've got serious time pressure here, Jim. You've got to get the guidance program transferred. You've got to do it before you're out of power in the command module. You're not going to be able to navigate up there. How much time? Can you give me a number? Well, we're looking at less than. 15 minutes of life support in the Odyssey. And now it's how do we transfer, and I don't even know, again, I don't really know what they're trying to do. Transfer all the information, transfer systems, transfer controls down to the lunar module, which it's not set up for, get it all turned on so they can get into it and be safe because the the service module or whatever is going to die. Yeah. Um, and there is a, and one of the most dramatic moments is Tom Hanks doing math. Okay, uh, Houston, check me. I've uh, completed these gibble conversions, but uh, I need a double check of the arithmetic. My nerd brain loves the fact that it's not just Tom Hanks. It's they go down to mission control and everybody is double checking the math. So you have like 14 white guys in white shirts and blue t- With slide rules. Doing slide rules and stuff. And you're tense. You're like, what's the answer going to be? You don't even know what they're doing. You don't even know what number they come up with. It doesn't matter. And they all agree on the math. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Good, thank God. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. Did did you ever learn how to use a slide rule? Explain it to me again. <laughs> I mean, I, I use an abacus in preschool, so <laughs> sounds like a no. What's a slide rule? <laughs> so a slide rule. It was like the size of a ruler. Oh, the the oh, uh, the is it the steel one? 
could have been steel. Yeah. And it had little sliders in it to do, and it would yes. do arithmetic. Yeah. My dad showed me how to use one. And of course, we were kids right when calculators happened. Right. Yeah. And so they became obsolete right when we were. Yeah. But they're kind of an amazing, and Abacus is too, but a slide rule is like an amazing little yeah. piece of engineering. Yeah. And then they start shutting down. They start shutting down everything. And we cut to Dick Cavett. And he's <laughs> making little Dick Cavett, for those of you who don't know, was a talk show host uh, who did marvelous interviews in the late 60s and early 70s. That he did. Um, and he's making little monologue jokes about Jack Swagger, you know, and kind of a girl in every port joke. Yeah. And Ken Mattingly is watching it and he gets frustrated. He's got some beers and he goes up and switches off the TV just as the image switches to, you know, special yeah. report. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't find confirmation of this, but I've I I did find I I've heard that Tom Hanks was a super fan of Dick Cavett, and that's why mm. he was in Forrest Gump. Oh, like wow. he claims to have watched, seen like all the episodes, and know well, can tell you like the guest list from certain episodes and stuff. That'd be so no he surprise. Just, he's a. But the person who didn't turn off the TV is Marilyn, oh. and she hears it, and she and she is on the phone with NASA, screaming at them, telling, asking, you know, what's going on on the spaceship? Right. Is he, he's losing oxygen? Can he even get back? No, don't give me that NASA bullshit. I want to know what's happening with my husband. And we're back on the spacecraft, and we're switching over to the Aquarius, and and there's some things I don't know what's not set up yet, but they switch stuff over, and suddenly there this the thing is just out of control. We're all out of whack. Trying to pitch down, but we're yawn to the left. Why can't I know this out? It's like flying with a dead elephant on our back. And what's really interesting about this moment where he says it's flying like a dead elephant is this is, we hear Jim Lovell get pissed off. Incredible. Informed Houston, I'm well aware of the goddamn gimbals. Roger that, Houston. I don't need to hear the obvious. I got the frappin' eight ball right in Andy, front of me. Andy, we're on Fox. Uh, Aquarius, uh, this is Houston. We got you both on Vox. You want what? You want us to go to Vox, Andy? You have a hot mic. We're reading everything you say. Sorry, Jim. This is like the one moment where he publicly loses it. We're back with Marilyn, and she hears that her son is calling her. Yeah. And she goes up, and this scene rests. Oh, God. Absolutely. She goes in, and I love that he's in the, under the covers. Yeah. And he's got space sheets, and he's got the flashlight. Yeah. When you're a kid, flashlight time under the covers is like that. Did you have that? Oh, yeah, of course. That is like so cool. And he's going, she comes in, he goes, why is everyone here? And at first she kind of goes, oh, well, you know, your husband, your, your, your husband, your father's in space. And that's why they're here. Yeah. And, and then she says. Something broke on your daddy's spaceship. And he's going to have to turn around before he even gets to the moon. Oh, and he says. He says. Was it the door? Oh. kills me that is an amazing and what's funny so here's what's amazing about this it's similar to something we talked about in braveheart mm -hmm. they added the apollo one sequence at the beginning because they wanted to show danger that yeah. this is a dangerous thing and things can go wrong they had no plan of this scene with the kid when they added that seriously oh, they uh... added the early scene with the kid because of the conversation that ron howard had with the space shuttle guy oh. And it's only those two things combined that created this third scene. This wasn't in the original plan. Wow. It came out of stuff that happened as they're making the film. Serendipity. Wow. And that moment of, was it the door, is so crushing yeah. and painful yeah. and scary. And that kid, I don't know who he is, but his performance is... Oh, he's the kid from Pet Cemetery. Is oh, it? yeah? Yeah. Okay. Jack, uh, we can close out your procedure now. Now... Do we know for sure that we can power this thing back up? Uh, 
gonna get awfully cold in here. Copy that, Jack. Uh, we'll just have to deal with that later. And the looks, because they know what that means. That means that when we shut this thing down, there's a chance we'll never be able to turn it back on and we're gonna freeze to death in space. Yeah. Well, that is what this is about. That's Armageddon. If you use a, a big wrench, you can get anything. <laughs> think that, you can get anything to work. Uh, An equally well-researched film. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That's right. I'm sure it is. I'm and, sure it is. And they finally do go and they do the final shutoff, and the camera does this pan so along dead. all of those dead instruments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that this is a good point to end. As the as Apollo 13 has shut down and they are in the cold of space with no possible solution on how they're going to restart the system, I think this is a good time to end part one of our exploration of Apollo 13. Um, as always, if you want to reach us, you can do so on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephiles. You can support the show like the people who picked Apollo 13 on Patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. And uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can subscribe on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, a whole bunch of places. Please re leave reviews on iTunes. They really help. Leave your comments on YouTube. Come to Cinephiles.net to stream Apollo 13 or any movie we've ever reviewed. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at SR Morris on Twitter and SR Morris one on Instagram. You can reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram to come back for part two next week and to see what happens. Dave, thank you very much for our exploration of part one. Will we be able to have you back for part two? I hope so. I got to find out if we get these guys home safe. And does anyone want to reach you? Need to have no, any way to reach you socially? To reach me. <laughs> so if you need to reach Dave Rapp, you can reach me or on Facebook and we'll get the message to him. And I think that is it for this week. We will be back next week for part two of Apollo 13. <laughs>